So we've been talking a lot over the last few weeks about this word, victory, which is kind of interesting if you think about it, to be talking about victory in the middle of a global pandemic. See, I, I guess it's important to note that the kind of victory that we're referring to, it, it's not a victory predicated on sunshiny circumstances or comfort or ease. It's a soul-level victory that is won from the inside out. In fact, I would suggest to you that it's a victory even made more profound and more powerful and more important in the face of adversity, in the face of challenge, in the, in the face of struggle. Let me put it this way. You were born for this. See, I can't think of a time in the history of the world when people needed hope much more than they need hope right now. I can't think of a time when people needed help much more than they need help right now. Needed connection, needed joy, needed peace, needed strength, needed courage, needed assurance much more than they need right now. I can't think of a time in the world's history when, they need, when people need a victory, a soul-level victory more than people do right now. And that's where you come in. See, Jesus has a plan for you. He wants you to see victory. That's power. And he wants you to uh, bring victory. That's purpose. He wants you to live with power and purpose. So you look around the world today and you see adversity and you see challenge and you see struggle. And every time you look, I want you to remember this. You were born for this. This is your moment. This is your time. This is why you were placed on this planet. You're going to see victory because that's power. And you're going to bring victory. That's purpose. You were born for this. You were born for this. And on that note, I want to say welcome to Southside Church Online. More correctly, actually, thanks for having us over. Thank you for welcoming me into your place, wherever that place might be. And I also want to take a second today, and I want to thank another group of people. I want to thank those people who have been uh, generously giving to the mission of Southside Church over these last weeks. I think faith-filled generosity is a little bit like victory, soul-level victory. See, faith-filled generosity isn't predicated on sunshiny circumstances or comfort or ease. Faith-filled generosity kind of steps up in adversity, steps up in challenge, steps up in struggle. And what I've noticed over these last weeks is there's, there's just a group that would call themselves Southsiders, and, and what they see is they see that right now that the world really needs more help that there's people who feel lost and alone, and if we can bring them help, then maybe they won't feel alone, and maybe they won't feel lost anymore. That there's people out there that need hope, and that hope really does have a name, and that name is Jesus. And because of Jesus, no matter who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, the best is always yet to come. And there's people who have stepped up with generous, faith-filled giving, because they, they know that the world needs more home. You say, what do you mean more home? I mean connection. I mean, even though the world is drifting apart right now, and that would be easy for us to do with social distancing, we've decided that we're going to adamantly come together. It's interesting because there's this concept that I have talked about before, and it's the upside-down reality of the open-handed life. That when you step up in the face of adversity, and you generously give so that other people might be helped, guess what you find? Help. 
When you step up and you generously give so that other people might find hope, guess what you find? Hope. And, and when you step up and you generously give, faith-filled generosity so that other people might be finding connection, guess what you find? You find connection. That's the point. It reminds me a lot of the, the story in the Gospels where this little boy comes to Jesus and he gives him five loaves and two fish. And, and Jesus takes those loaves and he takes that fish and he multiplies and he feeds thousands. That's the point. I think we've always known that, you know. When we step up in the face of adversity with our finances and we just do what we can do, what we notice is that God keeps showing up and he does what only he can do. So man, if you'd like to jump in and be a part of what we're doing here at Southside Church financially, that would be awesome. Here's how you would do it. You would either text the keyword give to 604-670-3040, or you can go on to our website, southsidelife.com, and there's a, a, a banner right at the top that says give, and it'll give you all our giving options. See, here's the point. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not we're not playing to lose. Like, we're, we're, we're not even playing to tie. We're, we're fighting to win this thing. <laughs> you were born for this, and that's why we've been spending some time focusing on the New Testament book of Jude. It's the second last book in the Bible. It's 450 words long, but it's 450 words that really, really pack a punch. What we call the book of Jude, by the way, was a letter written in the first century by one of Jesus' little brothers. And his given name wasn't Jude, by the way. He, he was given the name Judas. But because he doesn't want to be associated with or mistaken for uh, the disciple of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, he shortens his name to Jude and he writes this letter. And basically, the overarching theme of this letter that Jude writes is that this life that we live on this planet it is not a playground, it's a battleground. It's not a playground, it's a battleground. And it's really funny to me because Jude wrote this in 75 AD, and here we are, according to God's plan, reading this letter in 2020 AD, and we're looking at Jude and going, well, no kidding. No kidding. Life is not a playground. Life is a battleground. But the point that Jude is making in this letter is you got to look real, real careful. Be, be, because if you look around the world and you see struggle, you need to understand that there's an unseen struggle behind that struggle that you see. That if you look around the world and you see brokenness, you gotta understand that there's an unseen brokenness behind that brokenness that you see. That if you look around the world and you see that there's a battle playing out, well, there's an unseen battle behind the battle. It's called a spiritual battle. Jesus describes it in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I've come that you might have abundant life, but the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. In, in, in other words, Jesus has a plan for you. His plan is that you would see victory, that's power, and that you would bring victory, that's purpose. His plan is that you would see victory and you would bring victory, that you would live your life with power and purpose. You were born for this. You were born for power and purpose. But you have an unseen enemy named the devil. And he has a plan for you also. His plan is that you would see defeat and that you would bring defeat. It's incredible when I think about it because it was about eight months ago 
when I first felt God telling me that we needed to focus as a church on the book of Jude. Like eight months later. <laughs> and, and it's so amazing because it's just exactly what we need to be focused on right now. That when we look around the world and we see battle, we have to understand that there's an unseen battle behind every battle that we see. In fact, I said to my wife, Corinne, eight months ago, I said, man, I think it's really, really important that as a church, that as a people, that we don't become the seven habits of highly effective people, church, or the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership, church, or the how to win friends and influence people, church. Now, don't get me wrong, that's wisdom, and that's all good. I, I like Stephen Covey, I love John Maxwell, I, I, I like Dale Carnegie. But you need to understand something, that wisdom involves what we see. But there's more to life than what we see. So, so wisdom involves the physical. I still think we have to acknowledge and understand that there is a spiritual reality also. I heard somebody say it this way the other day. Said, you can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. You can't cast out the flesh and you can't disciple a demon. You get that? Like, sometimes people make everything spiritual. Right? Like, someone runs out of gas. By the way, if you're on the chat right now and you've ever run out of gas, do me a favor and, uh, and, and find the gas pump emoji and put it in the chat right now. If you've ever run out of gas. In fact, I would, I'm not talking about you, you were mowing your lawn and you ran out of gas on your lawnmower. I mean, you're driving down the road in your car and you run out of gas and you're stranded on the side of the road. What I would like you to do is for every time that you've done that in your life, every time you run out of gas, put a gas pump emoji, okay? Because I added it up a little bit for myself and I figured out that I probably run out of gas in my life about 20 times. Okay, I've been stranded on the road about 20 times and most of them uh, were when I was between the age of about 16 and 21. And it was always the same reason. I was always way too busy to get gas. Way too busy, which is funny because this was before I was married and had six kids. So I have no idea why I was so busy. But, but I had things to do, I had pl places to go, people to see, and I was always too busy. And I would put it off and put it off and put it off and next thing you know, I'm stranded on the side of the road and I'm out of gas. It's funny though because some people make everything spiritual. So they say something like this, the devil, is opposing me. He set the demon of empty gas tanks to waylay me and keep me from writing my geomorphology exam in college. No, no, that's not what happened. You're just stupid. Okay, like you didn't fill your gas tank up, Mike. That's why you ran out of gas. You know, like Proverbs 13, 16 says this, uh, wise people plan ahead, foolish people do not. Bingo, that's wisdom. Okay, but we need to understand that wisdom is great, but there's also an unseen battle going on. And it's good to be wise, but I also think we need to be aware. It's good to be wise, but we also need to be aware that there's a battle behind the battle, right? So you do have a friend in Jesus, and he does have a plan for you. And, and, and his plan is that you would see victory, that's power, and that you would bring victory, that's purpose. That would be your life, power and purpose but you also have a spiritual enemy and he has a plan for you too. And his plan is that you would see defeat and bring defeat. And it's his voice that whispers in the ear of the alcoholic and says, hey, have another drink. You have an unseen enemy named the devil and he wants to orchestrate a soul level defeat in your life. And it's his voice 
that whispers in the ear of the married person and says, hey, you need to hang on to that petty little grudge. You know that little thing? You need to make it into a big thing so that your life, your married life, just ends up being one long dispute over stupid things instead of coming together and building something beautiful. You have a spiritual enemy named the devil. He has a plan for you. He wants to orchestrate a soul-level defeat. And it's his voice that whispers in the ear of the parent. It says to the parent, go ahead. You need to do this. You need to say this. And so they do. I wish you were never born. That's what defeat sounds like. You say, well, what do you mean, Mike? Like the devil made me do it? No, the devil doesn't make you do anything. But he's looking to orchestrate your defeat. So he's going to orchestrate circumstances. He's going to orchestrate quarantines. He's going to orchestrate frustration. He's going to orchestrate exhaustion and try to put you in that place at that moment where you're set up perfectly for defeat. You have an unseen enemy named the devil. And he has a plan for you. He wants to orchestrate a soul-level defeat. See, it's his voice that whispers in the ear of the teenager. Stop worrying about doing what's right. Do what's easy. Do what's fun. Do what's popular. Do what helps you fit in. And somewhere along the line, that teenager loses the person that they were placed on this planet to be. And we all lose. See, you have an unseen enemy named the devil. And he has a plan for you. He wants to orchestrate a soul-level defeat. And it's his voice that whispers in the ear of the middle-aged person that says, hey, 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 hold on to that self-pity. No matter what you do, hold on to it. Every day, there's always something that you could whine about. There's something that you could complain about. Look at, look at, look at. If you try hard enough, you can find a dark cloud behind every silver lining. So instead of making today your masterpiece, whine it away day after day after day after day. See, I can stand up here today and I can quote John chapter 10, verse 10 for you. That Jesus comes that you might have abundant life, but the thief comes only, only, only to steal and kill and destroy. Do you understand that? The devil has never had a kind thought about you. He never has a benevolent moment about you. And I could tell you over and over again that you have a friend in Jesus. And his plan is that you would see victory, power, and that you would bring victory, purpose. And you have an enemy named the devil who wants you to see defeat and bring it. I could tell you that over and over and over again, but I'll tell you what, we need to start living in light of it. Because this is your moment. This is your time. Like you were born for this. And I'm not trying to make you afraid, but we do need to be aware. And so that's why we're going to spend some time in the book of Jude. So let's continue with verse 5 today. It says this, though you already know all of this. So Jude was writing this mainly to a Jewish audience, and they knew their history. So we might not know all of this, but I'm going to explain it to you. Okay, here it is. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, 
These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Okay, so here's the thing. I'll tell you the truth. When I opened up my Bible and I realized that this was the next section of the book of Jude that we were to go through, I did not want to preach this sermon. <laughs> I usually go real slow through verses and real slow through sections and real slow through chapters, but I wanted to blast right past this. See, because make no mistake, we're talking about sex. Like all three of the examples that Jude gives there are, are about sex. Like, first of all, he talks about the Israelites who God rescued them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, and he led, led them through the Red Sea on dry land into freedom. But instead of taking the 11-day journey, what should have taken 11 days to go from the Red Sea to the Jordan River, they wandered around for 40 years because they had no faith. And one of the most destructive sins of the people of Israel during those 40 years was sexual sin. And then Jude goes on to talk about a really bizarre story about how in the days before the flood, there were fallen angels or demons who orchestrated sexual immorality to such a degree that Genesis 6 says that God looked around the whole world and all he saw in the heart of every person was evil. And then, they, and then came the flood. And the last example that Jude gives is the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, where there was such sexual abuse and such sexual manipulation that God judged those two cities. So I think to myself, you're kidding me. <laughs> like, really God? Like that's, okay. Because, because two weeks ago, I, I told the story of this little boy with a bicycle jacket and a Snoopy lunch kit and a broken heart. And we, and we talked about how uh, you, you, you've got to silence the whispers of the voices of your past that you are not destined for defeat. You were born for victory. That was awesome. And then last week I talked about the fact that, man, uh, history's finest hour happened when, when Jesus won your victory at Easter because by his stripes we're healed. By his death we live and, and by his resurrection we rise. And now we move into this week and, and I thought to myself at first, here's the message of the sermon. Happy Easter, you bunch of perverts. I just, I don't know. Like, it just didn't feel like that's necessarily what the world needs right now. <laughs> In a nutshell, what's your problem? Uh, and so I was going to skip it. And I was praying about it. I'm like, God, I, I'm not sure. And he told me three things in rapid fire, and I'll tell you the same thing, if you haven't already tuned out. Number one, this is not an us and them sermon. Okay? So let's, let's say that real clearly, that, that Jesus talked about the fact that if you think an impure thought, you're guilty of sexual sin. So this is not about us and them. This is about us and us. That every one of us struggle with sexuality, including the guy standing on the stage right now preaching to you. This is not an us and them thing. This is an us and us thing. Secondly, the Bible talks about the fact that there is a mysterious connection between spirituality and sexuality. That's just the way it is. So I'm gonna, if I'm going to stand up here, I'm going to tell you, man, you were born to see victory. You were born to bring victory. I need to acknowledge that there is a connection between sexuality and spirituality. 
And finally, the third thing that God showed me is this is a sermon that's going to end with victory. Man, wait till we get to the end. It's amazing. We're talking about victory today. Let me read you something, though. It's out of 1 Corinthians 6. It says this, There's more to sex than skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. There's a mysterious connection between sexuality and spirituality. God created people. (laughs) And God created sex as a gift for people. And it's a whole life connection. It's a whole life connection, body and soul. And it's powerful, and it's pleasurable, and it's profound, and it's connection, and it's victory. It's great. And God created that whole life connection for a specific context. And that specific context is this whole life commitment that we call marriage. So it's a whole life connection, and the context is a whole life commitment called marriage. And that's victory. And then the devil comes and says, (laughs) are you crazy? What are you doing? Is that a whole life connection? No, no, it's just physical. It's just physical, like, use however you want. It's like, let's just say that, that I created for you a birthday present, okay? And let's say that birthday present that I created for you was a chainsaw. You say, Mike, you're not very handy. I don't think you could have built a chainsaw. You're right, I couldn't build a paper airplane. But let's, let's just say that I did. I built you a chainsaw and I gave it to you for your birthday. And I said, here is a birthday present for you. It is a chainsaw. I would like you to use it to cut down trees. And let's imagine that you said to me, I am not going to cut down trees with this chainsaw. I am going to give myself a quarantine haircut with this chainsaw. And what if I said to you, I don't think that's a very good idea. And what if you said to me, I don't care. Well, you get the point. So you got a friend in Jesus that has a plan for you. And that plan is that you would see victory and that you would bring victory. And you have an enemy named the devil and he wants a soul level defeat for you. And one of the ways he wants to do it is he wants you to step outside of God's plan for sex. And if you do, what he wants to injure is he wants to injure your soul. He wants to injure your soul. He wants to injure your soul. And your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. He wants to go after your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's interesting because uh, the battlefield is in the mind, isn't it? 
It's a battle of truth versus lies. Truth is victory, lies leads to defeat. And when we step outside of God's plan for sex, we can call it sexual sin. Sexual sin always starts in the mind. So let's say someone decides to cheat on their spouse, okay? This, this, is, this is a story you never hear about somebody cheating on their spouse. It was so weird. Like I was walking down the street one day, like no kidding, and I stepped in a hole, I blew up my ankle and had sex with someone I wasn't married to. It was insane. Doesn't that happen that way, right? It, it starts in the mind. It starts with imagination and justification. But the problem is the enemy uses that to injure your mind. And the casualty, listen now, the casualty is clarity. And the result is confusion. Because, listen, there was a time that you said, this is true. No, this, this is true. Listen, this is true. I will be faithful to you until the day I die. And now you made a truth a lie. And now the lie is the truth. And the casualty was clarity. And the result is confusion. Or I say to men, here's the truth. You were born to be a protector. Especially young single men, I tell them. Man, the truth is you were born to be a protector. That you should cherish the young women in your life. You should honor them. You should care about them. You should care for them. You should protect them in every way, including sexually. That's the truth. But let's imagine that a young man says, no, no, I got a different idea. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take whatever I can get. I'm going to take whatever she, she'll give me. I, I want to take whatever she wants to give me. Oh, well, what happens is you injure your mind. And the, the casualty is clarity, and the result is confusion. Or a young woman who comes to the point where she says, I'm only beautiful, and I'm only valuable if I'm wanted. Well, I stand up here and go, no, 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 that, that's not true. That's not actually true. See, 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 the truth is, the truth is that the God who spoke the universe into existence spoke you into existence. You're his idea. He thought you up. And you're beautiful. And you're valuable. And you're captivating. And you're incredible. Because he says so. And that's the truth. But imagine that young woman says to me, no, no. I'm only valuable and I'm only beautiful if I'm wanted. Well, that would change the way you think, wouldn't it? change the way you act, change the way you post, and it would injure your mind. The casualty is clarity, and the result is confusion. So the enemy wants to go after your mind. He also wants to go after your will, your will. Another way to explain will would be character, I guess, who you are when no one's looking. Or how about this, backbone. Your will is your backbone, you know? I, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing, even, it's, even if it's not the easy thing. I'm going to do the right thing, even if it's not comfortable. I'm going to do the right thing, even if it's not popular. I'm going to do the right thing, even if it's not safe. What do we call somebody who does the right thing, even if it's not easy, even if it's not safe? We actually call that person a hero. We call that person a hero, right? Man, we got a lot of heroes in the world today. It's just been awesome and amazing to watch. The world finally recognized our first responders and our doctors and our nurses and saying, man, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing the right thing, even though it wasn't the safe thing. Man, there's something so heroic about that and we applaud that and we should. But, but can I tell you why 
There's something about heroic people. There's something about heroic acts. There's something about heroes that attracts you. That's you. That's who you were created to be. And the hero inside of you resonates with that hero out there, and you applaud it. The right thing, the right thing, the right thing. See, I think deep down inside, God has placed in all of us, we know what the right thing is when it comes to sex. There's a right plan for sex. But let's imagine that you don't do that. Well, the, the, the casualty is your courage. And the, the result is cowardice. So what the enemy wants to do through sexual sin is he wants to perform an operation on you. And he wants to remove your backbone. And so I want to tell you what it looks like then. Uh, what, what happens then is you end up living a life, okay? You live a life and, and, and no longer are you able or willing to stand up for what's right. You begin to gravitate towards the easy, towards the fun, towards the comfortable, towards the safe. See, the casualty was courage and the result is cowardice. See, through sexual sin, the devil wants to come after your mind and your will and also your emotions. Sex is good. There's something powerful and profound and connecting about sex. And you were born, God placed inside of all of us, a desire for sex. In Proverbs chapter 5, um, Solomon says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And, and he talks about married sex. He compares married sex to um, drinking from, from a blessed fountain. Okay? So, so, so that's the plan. Drink from a blessed fountain. But in Proverbs chapter 9, what we read is that the enemy comes along. He says, hey, you know what? Stolen water is actually sweeter. Stolen water is actually sweeter. And so the devil comes along and whispers to you, hey, 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 hey. Don't... What do you mean blessed fountain? Stolen waters are sweeter. And he wants to damage your emotions because when you go after the stolen waters, the next thing you know, your desires are changed so that the things that you desire to do are things that lead you towards defeat instead of victory. Like one of the clearest examples I could give you is when there's a married couple and one of them gets addicted to pornography. And over time, what what, what happens is that the person who's addicted to pornography doesn't even want to have physical sex anymore. Why? Because their desires have been injured. And, and, and the problem is, you, you start to desire that stolen water, but stolen water, it's like salt water. You can drink and 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 you're never satisfied. And so the cost is contentment. And the result is craving. You understand? A craving that is never met. You say, wow, Mike, that's, that's neat. So that's, okay, so that's a great story about sex. No, no but, but here's what I need to tell you today. That's not the devil's end game. <laughs> sex isn't the point. All, all he wants to do is he wants to take you from a place of victory to a place of defeat. That's the point. So I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to imagine that this spot right here, let's call it life in the spirit. Okay, life in the spirit. So I told you already that, 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 that your, your, your body and that your soul, there's also a third part to you. And that third part to you is the spirit. 
And that third part to you, the spirit, that was the part, that's the part of you that's meant to connect with God, to live with God, to be fulfilled in God. Okay, so I want, I want to call this spot here life in the spirit or, or God's, we can call it God's plan. Okay, and, and, and here's how it's defined. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, we read that uh, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but he gives us power, love, and a sound mind. That's great, right? In Jeremiah 29, we read that God's plan is that we would have a hope and a future. In Psalm 23, we read that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? I shall not want. So instead of this craving and craving and craving and craving and craving and craving and it's never enough, I find fulfillment here. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. There's peace. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, that if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's this spot. That's walk, life in the spirit. God's plan. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said it this way. He said, come to me if you are weary or burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says it this way. You're God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. Isn't that awesome? Created in Christ Jesus. That's power. To do good works. That's purpose. You were born to see victory. You were born to bring victory. That's you. This is victory right here. This is life in the spirit. Okay, so what's the point of this whole thing about sex? Oh, that's simple. The devil wants to injure your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay, so, so remember, when he injures your mind, what's the cost? The cost is clarity. And the result is confusion. So now you're here, and you think you should be here, but you start to wonder, right? Like you might even live in a culture where people start to say, what's true? Like what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. Gravity? Is gra uh, I don't know if that works. So the, the result is confusion. Or, or, or he comes along and he removes your backbone. And, 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 the, and the cost, or the, the casualty is courage. And so you're here, and, and sometimes life here, man, it's not always easy. It's good, though. It's not always safe, but it's so right. But what if your backbone is removed? Then all of a sudden, man, if, if this isn't easy and this isn't safe, I don't know, maybe i got to get out of here. Or, or it injures your emotions to the point where you're here and your fountain is blessed and you're fulfilled or this is a place of fulfillment, but you look out there and you go, stolen waters are sweeter. Like stolen waters are sweeter. And you leave that spot. You leave that life in the spirit. And I wonder how many of us have been there. I, I know I have. And all of a sudden you look back over months and years and you wonder, man, why, why did I make that decision? What happened to my clarity? Or, or, or you lose that sense of you, that hero that you were born to be. You wonder why you just started to go with the flow instead of stand up for what's right, you know? Or you end up in this spot where you, you, you're chasing things and you're chasing things and you're chasing things, but it's just never enough and you never find that fulfillment. And the problem is sometimes you get to this spot and, 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 and the devil comes. Well, well, now you're in this place of defeat and guess what? You can't go back. You, you, you can't go back there. But that's a lie. 
Man, Isaiah 43 says it this way. Our God, our God, makes a way in the wilderness, streams in the desert. He makes the impossible possible. There's always a way back. <laughs> Can I tell you the truth? Man, I got a well-worn path. Like I, I, I've pro- over and over and over and over and over and over again in my life, I've proved there's always a way back and there's a way back for you right now. Your destiny is not defeat. And you're gonna see victory. And you're gonna bring victory. You say, well, I don't know, Mike. Like, I feel like I'm kind of a mess. You're his mess. Now listen to me, you're his mess. And when he looks at you, he doesn't look at your failures. He looks at your future. And can I tell you something? It's awesome. And the best is yet to come. And when he looks at you, he doesn't look at your past. He looks at your potential. (laughs) And it's bright. You say, Mike, well, I don't know, like, I've messed up so many times, you have no idea the things I've done. I believe you, I, I have no idea the things you've done. But there's something that you should probably know. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history, and he died for you. And he rose again for you. Do you know what that means? You can't out the love of God. You can't outrun the love of God. You can't out-sin the love of God. Can't do it. Can't do it. (laughs) You say, well, I'm just, I feel dirty. He doesn't see it that way. He came to make you clean. There's always a way back. There's always a way back. And so we come back here. This is victory, right? And and, and maybe you wonder, well, but my my mind is, is injured. Like the cost was clarity and, 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 and all I feel is confusion. You know what Romans chapter 12 says? Romans chapter 12 says this, that when you come back to Jesus, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mind, you're gonna get your clarity back. You're gonna get your clarity back. They say, well, I don't know, I got my backbone removed. I don't feel very heroic. Man, you know what Isaiah 40 says? Isaiah 40 says this, listen, that even youths grow tired and weary Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up on wings of eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. You're going to get your backbone back, hero. You were born for this. You're going to get your backbone back, hero. You're going to become the hero that you were created to be. Say, well, what about my emotions? And what about those desires that I have that keep, keep me chasing after things that don't satisfy me? Man, it's amazing because if you read in Galatians chapter 5 in the New Testament, it talks about life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit right here. And it says, man, if you, if you live life in the Spirit, over time, more and more, your emotions start to look like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is the spot. (laughs) This is you. You were born for this. You were born for this. So I guess I just have one more question before I close. How are you? As I was planning all week, it kind of hit me because I keep talking about, hey, you need to come back. There's always a way back. There's always a way back. But what hit me was like, um, maybe for some people, today would be your first day to come to Jesus. And man, I'm so stoked, so excited for you. See, I, I think 
that uh, Jesus planned for you to be here with us, for me to be with you today. So I guess my question for you would be, like, how is life going? Like, when you look back, would you say that there's been times that you just lack that clarity? Like, your mind doesn't feel to, like, you can always trust it. And you wonder why you made some of the choices that you made. Or, or I wonder sometimes if, if you think that you've fallen short of that heroic person that God called you to be, that you were created to be, you know? Like the problem with our culture is that for so many of us, we've abdicated that hero inside and we've strived instead for comfort and safety and ease. But the truth is we can see it all around us in the world today. You can't always count on that stuff. And so then we get anxious and we get fearful and we get worried. And I believe that God's calling you back to be that hero that he created you to be in the first place. And, 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 and how are your emotions? Like, I wonder if you, when you look back at your life, you think that over and over and over again, man, you've been chasing after this stuff and you've been convinced that it's going to give you fulfillment, but it just always falls short. I want to tell you that if you've always been wondering why isn't there more, that there is more and his name is Jesus. And today he's inviting you to victory to victory. So I'm not inviting you to, to, to make your way back. I'm, making, I'm inviting you to make your way to Jesus for the first time. So if that's you today, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. His plan was that you would be here. He died for you. He rose again for you. He's going to change your mind. He's going to lead you one next step at a time. He's going to give you a backbone. You're going to be the hero that you were created to be. And he's going to, he's going to change your emotions that more and more you're going to be in this place of contentment and fulfillment. He's the more that you've been looking for today, tomorrow, and forever, forever. So if that's you right now, wherever you are, I'm going to pray out loud. Why don't you just pray along with me as I pray? So dear God, thank you. Thank you for the fact that even in the moments of my life where I don't believe in me, that you've always believed in me. I want to thank you for sending your son Jesus into human history to call out of me the, the victory that you created me for. So today, Jesus, I want to thank you that you died on the cross, that you died my death so that I can live today, tomorrow, and forever, and that you rose again in victory so I can rise too. I pray that I would see victory, that I would bring victory, that I would live in truth, that you would lead me one next step at a time to become the hero that I was created to be. And I pray that you would give me a sense of fulfillment, the more that I've been looking for all along. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you're on the chat right now, you can give a hand clap emoji. Celebrate those people who just took that step. It's incredible. It's incredible. Hey, if you're one of the people that did that, I would just ask one favor. Either on the chat or you can go on to 604-670-3040 um, and, and just text the keyword life. L-I-F-E. That's it. Or you can go onto the message box on southsidelife.com called Southside Together and you can text that keyword life. I don't really care how you do it. We're not looking to stalk you, but you had better believe we are looking to support you. Okay, it's really important because this whole Christian life, this whole walking with Jesus thing, man, it's a team sport. It's not something that you should ever do alone. And just before I finally shut up, I want to pray for all the rest of us for a second, okay? So why don't you join me in prayer? So God, I thank you for every single person. I thank you for that well-worn path to life in the Spirit, to victory. So God, I pray for all of us that you would give us a sound mind to see truth and to walk in it, that you would give us the strength to be the heroes that you created us to be. And God, that you would just continue to sharpen our desires, 
to bring love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, faithfulness and self-control and gentleness to a world that desperately needs it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you that of all the people in history, you chose us. You chose us for this moment. Man, we were born for this. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.